Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Mike Still, and I play Mark Hard on the show Hard Nation over on Earwolf. And I want to tell you about a new Howl original called The Layman. It's hosted by the absolutely most funniest person in the universe, John Gabris. John loves science. We all know this. But you and I know it's also kind of difficult to understand, right? Who gets science? So in this series, Gabrus goes to the experts, doctors exploring the frontiers of the mind, outer space, and more. And he asks them to break it down in terms that we can all understand and ask the most important question of all. How is this stuff going to help me? Number one. So here's episode one of The Layman. To hear the series each week, go to how.fm. You can use promo code Layman, L-A-Y-M-A-N, to get one month for free. Enjoy John Gabris, The Layman. What's up, guys? I'm John Gabris. You can, of course, call me Gabris. I had like five Jonathans in my junior high, and it's stuck since. You might know me from TV or from the Comedy Bang Bang podcast or maybe even my own podcast, High and Mighty. What you might not know about me is that I've always been obsessed with science. It was one of the subjects I was good at, and then as I got older, I thought I wanted to be an FBI agent, so I started studying psychology and reading up on profiling. Silence of Lambs truly affected me, I'm assuming. You might be surprised to hear that I'm not an FBI agent and I'm actually now a podcast host. That doesn't mean I'm still not obsessed with science. I mean, I used to play high school football. I don't play anymore, but I still watch the Giants every Sunday. So here I am, excited about science. I get the opportunity to talk to scientists about their fields. Rarely do you get in your mid-30s an opportunity to learn anything anymore. So I'm super excited about that. And in all honesty, hopefully some of these scientific facts I learned can help me solve some problems of my own. Maybe I can learn how to focus up and actually complete something for once in my life. Let's be honest, I'm in it to help myself here. So to start off this show with this first episode, I went down to Orange County, which is about an hour south of Los Angeles. There, I met with a husband and wife scientist team. I know, there it is. There's the sitcom right there. They've worked together for years. Keith brews beers and Laura writes romance novels. Now, these are the kind of scientists that I can understand. This is your host, the layman himself, John Gabris, and I am in the lovely home of a married couple who are both scientists. Yeah, you think actors have it rough marrying another actor? We have scientists married to one another. Dr. Lauren Billings-Lurs and Dr. Keith Lurs, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. Of course. I'm so excited. They have children and puppies, and they're also doctors, so they legitimately are more busy than me. 
Each of you are in a different field or a similar field of science. Is there some sort of overlap? Why don't you talk to me a little bit about, A, which, which one it is and how, if they relate at all. Okay, so this is Lauren. I um, I'm actually Lauren not, is the woman. I am the woman. Case. Yes, <laughs> my voice is a little higher. I'm so used to doing that because I'm a co-author. And oh, so, right. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so I'm actually not currently doing active research. I got my PhD in neuroscience, so brain brain science. Mm-hmm. And um, so my training was in molecular biology and biochemistry, which sounds really fancy, but it's just really, really, really small stuff. So um, when I look at what she does, I think it's, oh, it's a brain science. It's, it's way too complicated. And I think the same thing about his, like, how could you ever understand what's going on at such a, like, nano scale? But there is some overlap in that the brains have cells in them. All Indeed right. They do. Exactly. And that's well the end of the layman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. Well Let's pack it up, Eric, and get out of here. When I first started graduate school, our department was called psychobiology, which is a terrible... A few jokes there. A few jokes. Because um, there were some crazy-ass people in our department, and so... Um, some real psychobiologists. They really were. Um, and we so we ended up changing the department name to... Um, neurobiology and behavior but I think even still there were some people in some of the harder sciences like even like physics or mathematics but I would even go into molecular bio and biochem who didn't really think a lot of what we did was research and you'll definitely get that when you're talking about psychology right a lot of psychology people like say well I'm a scientist and the, you know scientists will be like no you're not no, you you're, know? you're like practically yeah. a, a and so Puppetry major to some scientists. Neuroscience is sort of on the line of that, where it's a lot of it is like you're studying things that are sort of hard to grasp because they're more like cognitive concepts and you're trying to find the biological plug-in for that. And right, I think, it's not something you can look at under a microscope. Right, it's and so behavior. I think a lot of people think yeah. that it's just going to, you're working more in the theoretical. Yeah, but I mean, it all really goes together because you can't really do anything useful with just what I do or just what she does you right. need to put sort of these different scales together to do something like you know make a drug for drug development did you guys meet working at a, a large drug company no we actually met uh back when we were grad students in an elevator yeah it uh so what school what school is this at uc irvine yeah, oh uc irvine that makes sense as to our current location and and you guys met in an elevator let me hear this story this is precious already. well so he was working he was his research was in parasitology so he was working with parasites i knew like, it was going to be romantic yeah. actually really nasty stuff so yeah. we, we had to wear instead of like a regular cloth lab coat because you know you can get something in that and it, maybe you don't wash it out we wore these you know sort of tyvek paper lab coats that were disposable but it's academia. But, Nobody right. ever has enough money to so like, we couldn't dispose ones, of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so they were disposable, but like reused as if they weren't. Yeah. So the and the buttons fall off of them. So I had like different colors of lab tape to like hold together where the buttons were. <laughs> and I'm in the elevator, and she was working a floor down for me. And we're headed downstairs, and so door opens, and she gets in. And I'd had a crush on him for like a year. I used to call him my boyfriend before I even knew his name. Oh, that is so cute. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Secret boyfriends, class boyfriend, yeah. work boyfriend. Exactly. <laughs> and, and she's like, nice lab coat. And I'm not realizing I'm wearing a paper lab coat with different colors of tape on it. So I'm like, who is yeah, what? what is she, what's her deal? What's her deal? And I was like, God, that's the worst opening line ever. Yeah, and then she gets out of the elevator on a different floor, and I look down after she leaves at my lab coat, and I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. <laughs> she meant. She meant it was making a joke. Yeah. So it was meant to be. Yeah. But yeah. And so 11 years later, we found each other. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> same elevator, same I lab. Know. I wrote it every day. I've been waiting for you. That's awesome. That's a, that's a pretty solid icebreaker that you whiffed on. I big tried. Time. I tried, man. <laughs> 
was like, ooh, that came out a little rough. Did you, when you guys were first started getting together or as as the relationship developed, has, has science come into play at all? Did you guys end up working together or? I got my job at the, the company, the local company, and a couple of years later, he came over and started working there too. And then it was awesome because not only did we have lunch together every day, which was great because we have little so kids. So you were dating, working for the no, same? No, we're married. Oh, you're married at this point. This we're point. married, yeah. Um, not only did we ha- have little kids, so like you can't talk about grown-up things at home when you have little kids. <laughs> no. Right. It's all absorbed with like, you know, diapers and whatnot. But, but also like he knows my projects now more than just me saying I'm working on this. You know, he doesn't have time to read all the papers that I'm right. reading for my postdoc, but when we're working together, we're reading the same stuff. And we did yeah. actually have a couple of collaborations between yeah. our groups. I couldn't even imagine actually working with my wife, especially if I had to be in power, because that just would, that would upset our entire dynamic <laughs> if I had to be in charge in some way. Um, but I think working with your spouse or a loved one in a situation where you're in the same field but you also get to go separately and do like, you don't have to like, it's not side by side the whole time. I feel like that is like the ideal situation where you're like, Hey, we can go for lunch. We can carpool. We can do this. But when we get there, we, we get a few hours away from each other. Yeah. And we day. weren't in the same group. We're in the same department. Right. We're both in biology. Yeah. So biology we, but... we work together, you know, several hours a week, but not like, yeah. Eight hours a day, every day. Yeah. And I think, I think it helps, awesome. too, that, Not like... that that would be bad. No. <laughs> backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. He, say, he says with terror in his eyes. I no, mean, we're fine. We just have a long weekend coming up right now. <laughs> I'm going to go away with the boys for a biking trip. No, but it, I think it works, too, because... Or it worked at the time, because I genuinely think he's the smartest person I've ever met. I could date... A com- I could never date a comedian, I think, unless I thought they were actually very funny. The funniest, I yeah. couldn't fake it because it is my field and right. it's something that means a lot to me. Right. So I would feel like I would be uh, unfortunately honest in yeah. a relationship where I'd be like, actually, babe, I don't know. If I, I just don't think you're that funny. Yeah, yeah. No, that's like true. You're hot yeah, yeah and... it's great. Hey, you, <laughs> you're a great make... cook. Yeah. And now my wife, who I think is absolutely hilarious, is not a comedian. Right. If she was a comedian, I'd be like, babe, that joke actually, if you tweet, if you put the predicate like, right. <laughs> and all of a sudden I've ruined <laughs> our relationship. And it's like, like uh, my wife works in marketing, so she does trailers and stuff. And uh, uh, I was cutting together a trailer of something I was working on. And she was like, can I give you a couple of notes? And I was like, ooh, we've come to that point. Yeah. Yes, you can, but tread yes. lightly. <laughs> be very careful. <laughs> yeah, be very, yeah. I like, was like... <laughs> Yeah. So God help you if we disagree on a note here because I know neither of us are going to back down. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you really have to have that respect when you're both doing the same kind of thing. I'm very careful not to write anything now, like not even a post-it note. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. How is that being parents as, as scientists? I know now we're, uh, we're, you know, we have other titles. We're moms and dads and husbands and wives and writers and scientists. But is there any sort of like of the conversations where I'm like, I'm worried about so-and-so's cognitive, like things that would happen on like a higher level. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. I think the hardest time was when we were pregnant with the first one because you spend all the time in biology studying what goes wrong. Oh. And now you have this little incubation and you're like, you don't get, you can't, there's no data. You don't know how things are going. You're like, oh, this could go wrong. This could go wrong. Yeah, you yeah. know too much. It hard. And, yeah. and it's like when, making sausage. Yeah, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. And when Owen was first, our first son or first child was born he was very badly jaundiced and so i made the mistake of going to google and looking at like what jaundice does to the body and it basically can have adverse effects for the basal ganglia which is the portion of the brain that i did my phd on oh no and so i was like first of all totally hormonal because i just had a baby but now i'm like my baby's gonna have a movement 
disorder. <laughs> I was just freaking out, you know. And I mean, I think there are times where you can know too much. But I also feel like we have the benefit in the way because getting your PhD in science really takes a lot of structure and motivation. And so we have learned that you have to be organized about your work and you have to really like be dedicated to school. And I think that we're teaching our kids that. So I feel like in some ways it's been it's been good. Like they're learning the discipline from us. That's actually funny. It's something I didn't hear a lot. I talked to only a couple of scientists so far for the show, but something you don't hear a lot about is everyone makes these assumptions about scientists that they're so smart and they are often, but everyone just is like, Oh yeah, they're geniuses. It's like, well, the geniuses no. work really hard. Well, there's research. a bell shaped curve yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I mean, right. we've got, I got it's like my anything. PhD in a program with there, there were some real, special guys there you know too that and terrifies they me, just right? have to but yeah. i really do feel like that is a misconception about scientists scientists yeah. by and large are not smarter than the general population i would not say there are a lot of people who are well like someone just recently said that to me something was like you know there are dumb doctors and i was like like meaning like oh, medical yeah. doctors and we and don't want to like, know oh that. that's terrifying i, I don't want to know I that know. i just want to assume they're really smarter than me he's like my friend is like, well, relative to your peers, you're probably, you know, in the top percentile of your friends. Right. This guy could be in the lower percentile of his friends. It's like, no, I don't want to know oh, that. I don't know that. I just want to assume he's a doctor. He knows more. Totally. Uh, and that yeah. makes me so, like, that's nerve-wracking to imagine is, yeah. like, start uh, second-guessing someone's intelligence level that's in charge of you in yep. some capacity. Oh, that's terrifying. Um, my mom was a nurse growing up, too, so the know-too-much thing was yeah. uh, very specific in our household. You know, it's like, my leg hurts. She's like, could be polio. Hold on. <laughs> Sit down, you know, you're like, no, 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 no. I mean, I fell skateboarding. She's like, fell skateboarding. It could be a twisted t- uh, fracture of your tibia. I was like, mom, please. I don't want to know any of this stuff. It's just stuff. a skinny. I shouldn't yeah. have said anything. I know. Well, we literally stopped, like, telling my mom we were sick. And yeah. then that's, like, has a weirder effect where you're like, I mean, I've had a fever for, like, three days. It's like, don't tell mom. We don't want to get into it. It's like, Wait, what if you're really sick? <laughs> We'd be like, dad, I think I have a headache. He's like, Shh, all right, go get Tylenol. Yeah, Quiet. <laughs> we don't want to alert mom. We'll have a us like like bed rest for six days out of fear yeah what's the progression in the science world a lot of people while they're getting their doctorate are doing research but where does that go from there like or at least what is what do you aspire to do in that world it's a great question and it can go different ways there's sort of a you know at some point in your career there's a big split between like you know am i going to go into academia so you know research at a university something like that which usually comes along with teaching as well or something like Mm -hmm. that yeah Mm -hmm. And I think what I found when I, so I, usually the progression is just to like back up is you get your bachelor's degree, you go into graduate school, you can get a master's along the way. Some people leave with a terminal master's, um, but usually you just go through to your PhD and then you, so most people have to do a postdoctoral research fellowship or something at this point now, and then they can go into professorship. She's really mostly just hazing. Yeah. Or they can go into industry. And what I found after my postdoc was... And so postdoc's like an internship would be for It's like you time. have a, your, your PhD, you're more independent in the lab, but you're still working under a professor. Oh, okay. So you're working in someone else's lab. You usually leave the lab that you've done your PhD in. It's a good idea to do that, though not everybody does. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have your own project, and you're working a lot more independently than you would be under... Um, somebody as getting your PhD. But after my postdoc, I left and I went into industry and I found that the research there was far more rigorous than it had been in academia. Yeah. Well, the, the end point Because you have different. to be right. You have shareholders. Right, you, right. You, yeah. You know, you have, it's going into the clinic. It goes into patients. You're going to find out if you're right or not. And that, you was, a sh- you write that a was a shock to me. Oh, that's really cool. And is industry like looked at by the other scientist people as like 
the selling out because you were taking it a, used to be taking more a so. paycheck I think, versus. I think, less so I think that's changing, but certainly it was that case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just a couple more questions about the science world because the way you guys were talking about industry versus academia really interested me. Is there like a cush science job that everyone is like a because like I know like in a TV if you're like. Imagine you just had your own HBO show. That's the premiere. And is there something that people aspire to? It's like, oh, once you're in a think tank, you're making six figures just spitballing ideas. Yeah, I think doing, being a consultant is like, it can be yeah, fish, but you also kind of have to like get your own connection. So like you can't be a consultant nowadays really until you've done the earlier work where right. you've and like. People know who you are. Yeah, and... and you've proven yourself in like a lot of different circles. So I feel like more clinicians like medical doctors have the cush jobs where they like get their MD and they've yeah, worked I like for a little while. MDs. And then, yeah, and then basically they, you know, can be a consultant for a drug company and make, you know. But those right. roles are like more strict now too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it might be a little bit harder eventually you get out of the lab but then like the stress level just goes up right because yeah. because you're doing stuff that's less and less like actual science well that's what's right? so right. weird yeah. too is that we're trained to be scientists we're trained at the bench but then like your goal is to eventually not be at the bench anymore but we're not trained for any of that like we're all yeah. trained we're how selected to, like... for that yeah, yeah. You, you move up because you're good at the bench doesn't mean you're good at managing yeah people. managers are very different some are really weird and quiet and quirky and some are much more people people but i think in science you're going to get more managers that are a little awkward socially right. and kind of they, they're not as good at that whereas in business people who go to get their mba in general the people who are in those management positions are the ones who are also good with people yeah well they don't let you out of the basement i think uh, yeah. unless you are <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so where in where in science you're like all right who's the most outgoing guy it's like well it's this is a world's tallest midget competition yeah. here it's like <laughs> Keith, Keith is the only one that makes eye contact <laughs> so it's like oh, well he's the CEO <laughs> you know like, he's the face of the company he's the one he's the one willing to shake hands with a stranger despite being a parasitologist. Right. <laughs> So, because I always dreamed my dream job. Anytime you, you see it in the movie Armageddon, and you see it in Martian. Whenever a group of people come together and are like, let's think outside the box yeah. how to solve this problem. Like this is, uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit on a down note, but in post nine eleven, they like created this group of think tank, and David Fincher, the film director, was brought on to like to come up with ideas of ways that we could be. I'm like, that's such insane like I, i'd love to be in a room where david fincher two scientists right. two terrorist experts right. two aviation experts are all brains bringing the highest caliber of yeah. thought from their yeah. respective field i would love to sit down with like you know all right we got two scientists two social and yeah. we're gonna solve these problems that just whoops i'm just smashed my microphone i'm so italian i can't even talk on a podcast <laughs> without moving my hands <laughs> I'm smashing everything over. They were just like, we hear a light whirring in the background, like a helicopter blade. Oh, Gamers gesticulating constantly. Are there movies that when you were like, that scientists really love? Like, I feel like I just rewatched since I started doing this podcast again. Since I saw the film The Martian, I went back and rewatched I Contact. love that book and that uh -huh. movie. Yeah. So yes. I was about to say The Martian is like solving problems use like it's just problem solving which is what science is so i feel like it was so exciting it was he, awesome and the thing is he's so fascinating because he's a computer guy he's not like the guy a, who wrote the book yeah, yeah andy weir so um he he's not a 
like earth scientist. He's not a botanist. He's not a chemist. He's a computer tech guy. <laughs> and he, so he learned all of that from Google. Like he basically wrote this book using like the internet for research and that's he, so awesome. and it's out there and that's, what's so cool, you know? And yeah. so we really did, I tore through that book. He read yeah. it and then we watched the movie. I think people enjoy who scientists seem to enjoy the book a lot more. And I think non-scientists from my experience, shattering stereotypes, have, scientists yeah. like the book more. No, the, the <laughs> book, the Martian, more, right. but yeah. like <laughs> scientists are, sort of geeks at the core so like right. you're a geek we're geeks like the book the movies that i have loved throughout time are like blade runner like right. it's yeah. a, that's not a scientist movie that's like right. anybody who's like smart and kind of geeky loves that movie yeah. so i don't know i can't think of any others where it's like yeah I'm trying, when i was a kid i loved macgyver because i mean that's oh, what yeah. science and probably making a movie yeah. and doing a podcast it's like <laughs> got a problem figure out how to fix a problem, fix a problem. Well, you, I think that's the appeal of the martian is that yes. it was like it was like genius macgyver yes. it yes. was like and Hey, I love Richard Dean Anderson. Don't get me wrong, but Matt Damon is Matt Damon. Know. You know what I mean? Like right. slightly more compelling yeah. of an actor. Yeah. So you put Matt Damon, Ridley Scott, and MacGyver. The premise of MacGyver together. I'm in. Yeah. You're MacGyver though. He just fixed our kid's Nerf gun last night with uh, super glue and baking soda. Like what? Did... That's <laughs> so awesome. It wasn't working. It wasn't shooting. And he came in. Well, and was I, like I just fixed this gun. I, I broke it shooting her like the day after Christmas. And I was like, <laughs> and so yesterday our kid was like, yeah, this gun is broken because yeah. my dad was shooting my mom. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you not say that at I school? So, we had friends over. We're like, it doesn't stop it, it was, And it was kind of like biology because I took this thing apart and you know, the thing with biology is you're trying to fix something but you don't know all the rules and you can't take everything apart you don't really have the tools you need. So that was me in the dining room table <laughs> pulling this thing up going, okay, how the heck does this thing work? And so let's like, imagine this is the mitochondria. <laughs> yeah. This is the Golgi body. Yeah, my, you know, you pull on this. Oh, I shouldn't pull on that again. That's not the way to do it. Which is hard to do in biology. Yeah. Well, that person is effed for life now. Yeah. But it's like, okay, this spring fell out when I opened it. Where the heck does this thing go? Like, does it go here? No, no, here. And it was essentially gluing it in place, but I needed to cure the super glue with baking soda to change the pH. And... That's so awesome. Know, right? That is so, so fun. So he is modern day MacGyver. He that is, that kind of but that's really cool that like your kid can come to you with a problem with a broken Nerf gun, and you're like, all right, well, I'm going to approach this the only way yeah. I know how. They only I, go to him though. All right, yeah. give me six different colors of lab coat tape. I, I need know. a piece. I need a big McDonald's napkin. I'm going to yeah. tape it to my chest and get to work. McDonald's. And Daddy needs another beer. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. um, my my dad growing up, he worked in television, but like in physical production, so he was like a gaffer and a lighting guy. But anytime anything was wrong in the house that was like lighting related or electricity related, it was really fun to watch your father like do. Yeah, yeah. Where he would be like on a ladder with like a one of those like he has my dad carried like those knives that you could just open with one hand and like <laughs> do this shit. And I'm like, and my, my dad's like, pass me this. And he's got like, and everything is tape. Now that I work in production, I understand how important gaff tape is. Yeah. But like, give me a piece of gaff. And I knew that when I was 12 because in our house we had gaff tape was on everything. He's like gaff tape, but like literally, like I would be the only kid on the football field who's like shoulder pads were like gaff taped on like everything was like taped on like my waistband was like taped on I was like <laughs> my dad fixes everything with tape on his job I guess he just brings it home now you're using the pH of baking soda to lower that's, so, that's true that's so fun um, so let's talk a little bit about what you guys do for fun I'm, I mean I'm, I'm assuming every, we're all humans we have yeah. the, the, over, the Venn diagram of things we right, enjoy are right. similar but I'm just curious what, what do you guys do for what do you guys do for fun well when I was doing science full time I wrote fan fiction for fun that was my hobby I wrote oh, alias fanfic I wrote some Twilight fanfic I wrote Harry Potter fanfic I had Buffy fanfic I had fanfic for all different fandoms oh that's awesome so this is the first time something that's come up as a vocab word 
on the podcast that I don't think I need to explain. Like normally <laughs> with interviewing scientists, I'm like, oh, so let's talk a little bit about what yeah. biochem is. But yeah. with the listener base of Earwolf and who they are, when you yeah. say fanfic, that's something that everyone can yep. latch on to. Yeah. Yep. And for her, her that grew, it was like, you know, she'd come home, maybe working a little bit. And, you know, she used to go to bed early and I'd stay up late and I'd be like going to bed at two o'clock in the morning and she's like writing away. I'm yeah. like, wow, what's going on? It just turned into, and then that's sort of when the books took off. So my, what used to be my hobby is now my career, which is, Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. It's also pretty fun that you're like, um, I have a doctor in science, but this is what I do. Yeah, like, but now you this have, is what I do. Yeah. But I feel like I use it every day because I am really disciplined about my schedule. And I feel like that's one thing you like. People are like, well, don't you feel like you wasted your PhD? And it's like, not at all, because I use those skills all the time. You know, it's made me a lot more like structured and motivated. Yeah, and and, it teaches you some humility as well. It's yeah. like working in science, like you, you, you are reminded day. every day <laughs> that you don't know everything. Here's something yeah. that I can get on board with. Try going out every single day to an audition and them going, no, you're not good enough for what we want right now and that's not the way to take it because you right. need to move on and also i think for you too and i'm just speaking on behalf of your own emotions at this point but like coming at it from doing it as a hobby first yeah like you're not like this is what i gotta do well for now a it's all gravy right, right? and it's, it's like, all awesome when you were doing it at first you were doing it just for the love of it you weren't doing it to like i hope this works right yeah. which is like a, i think always want the job never need the job yeah. it's yeah. kind of like that mentality and you got through some of that tough phase kind of early on it's like before you were published you had people like praising your books and eviscerating them too so right. you got to get you know beat I, up a yeah. little bit and learn and i still had a full-time job right, so our right, family yeah. wasn't depending on me getting some books sold or anything and what was really great too is so keith's hobbies are mountain biking and home brewing and he is excellent I need to get someone to pay me for that <laughs> he is excellent at both of these but we each had our own things that were really important to us mine was the writing and his is the brewing and the biking and so when I did get serious about writing the books, he kind of understood that this was something really important to me because he had those things too. Right. You know? that, that's so... so that has never been strife or weird or hard or anything. Yeah, it was like, like we negotiated that very easily. Back then there was like a night of the week, you know, you would, I would watch the kids and you would go write. Yeah. And then I had a night of the week where I'd go ride mountain bikes and then drink some beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she. I, so I, I, I align a lot with your hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> Despite I'm trying to be a writer in real life. <laughs> My hobby's more involved, and, and riding bike also sounds exhausting. I'm more into just the drinking. Of beer. <laughs> All right, being honest, yeah, I, I love I'm watching the Tour de France. Though. Yeah. I have some homebrew in the fridge. I can bring it out, and I will certainly. I, hey, I only have an hour drive back. I can have. I'm 300 pounds. I can have several beers and be fine. <laughs> um, that. All right, this is awesome because home brewing is like cooking an art. And a science. You totally. need to hear how geeky he is about That's this what I and what hear. he That's has so. built for his brewing. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. to tell them so about in, it. And, and brewing is definitely one of those things that like, you can really, again, it's all those things. And you can really approach it from the art side and get great results. And yeah. you can also <laughs> really approach it from the science side and I think also get great results. So uh, it, for me, it's a lot of fun because you can do it simply and make great beer. Or you can totally geek out in a completely unnecessary way. And he does it that way. And, <laughs> yeah. And have like, you know computer controlled uh, process controls for temperature and that you can check on your be phone in a different country work. and check on your fermentation temperature in your garage and shut your refrigerator on and off and... <laughs> that's so awesome i've never actually i've met a lot of people at being a you know 30 something uh, former brooklyn current los angeles hipster i've met a lot of home brewers over all my life but never a home brewer that approached it so scientifically for, yeah, well there's a lot thing. of people who do it that way yeah. but, i know uh, I mean, and you don't just... have to <laughs> it's just fun well that's a great marriage of your two 
two worlds. Like that's so like for me, that's why I drink while I perform. That's my yeah, marriage no, my it's... two worlds. I, I drink while I write. So <laughs> yeah. It's... yeah. But you can do some sciencey stuff without like a ninety five percent failure rate. So you oh, haven't right. even told him what the name of your setup is. Oh yeah, I got I gotta know uh, I'm oh, gonna ask yeah. a lot of questions here. So let's get let's get into yeah, it. So I'm so into yeah. home brewing as well. Okay, uh, yeah, great. Yeah. So I, I started out making this and it could sort of maintain the temperature during the mash for homebrewing, which is to uh, do a layman term for that. That's where you basically take the starch that's in that grain and turn it into the sugar that gets turned into the good stuff yeah. uh, by the that's yeast. The alcohol. Yeah. Um, and if you're brewing with grain, that sort of temperature is really critical. And it's, I could go for hours. Yeah, it's yeah. the enzymes that control it. But anyway, I made this like really ugly bodged together thing from a tool stand that I'd like hacked and then bolted a burner on and then had this control thing. And it was kind of R2-D2 shaped. And one of the guys I used to brew with said, oh, you should call it R2-D brew. And then that <laughs> yes, really stuck. So Star Wars and puns. Yep. It's R2-D brew. Keith, you're, you're speaking almost directly into my left ventricle right now, by the way. Or maybe my, I should uh-huh. say my liver. You guys are having a moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is so exciting. I love. I think cooking is a lot for, like like that for a lot of people too. Like you have your friends. Like my like my wife's idea of cooking is because she's very aesthetic and everything is like you know design in her mind. So her food is like beautiful and thematic, and my food is like always like meat by by quantity more or less. Like I'm like I made eleven pounds of chicken wings. It's like what? Like that's like my idea of like really enjoying cooking. Like and I feel like that's so fun to see people approach all that stuff in a different So what what kind of what kind of brews are your either favorite to make or what do you think you've really got down the best? I have a, a porter I have some actually in the fridge. I can you'll get some I of that. I will, I will it's so good. Um, I'm it's, a huge porter fan. It's like a way. recipe I've been working on for like years and i went and visited uh fuller's brewery um when i was in london oh, uh, actually uh, with her i got to tag along on one of her book trips so and oh, that's while awesome. she was signing books fuller's like, esb is one of my favorite sessions so i was like time, yeah. i'm taking the tube to, to chiswick <laughs> and uh, going to fuller's which if you get the chance is the best brewery tour i've ever been in all my life he oh, was so awesome. cute though they, we had a th- an event at the apple store there <laughs> And and it, and so he and um, we were my co-author's husband the came in, and they were they were tanked, and they were so like smiley and adorable. They were like the most supportive giddy husbands at a book event oh, wait, ever. So it was the husband of your co-author too. Yeah, so I dragged like him buddies. with me. Yeah, yeah, I was like, really let's go. <laughs> uh, uh, so you were working on the porter recipe for years. Yeah. So flowers. I like found out which yeast um, that I can buy here is actually like from their brewery. So I like threw that in because I love their porter. And, oh, that's, so they been, do have a fantastic yeah, porter. They yeah. do. So I've been playing around with different yeasts for that one for a couple of years. I'm sitting here trying to come up with real life applications of uh, neuroscience or, uh, the, or that I could use for myself, but something I'd never thought of taking from scientists outside of the content until Lauren brought it up is the the work ethic or and when Keith you're talking about it with brewing of just like I can just look at it from uh approaching things scientifically like you said you're yeah and with parenting it you even said yeah. it prepared you so can we talk a little bit about how and uh I'm at the age where you know my wife and I we pulled the goalie we're we're seeing what happens here um, <laughs> um how, how is science brought into parenting from from you guys from your point of view did you guys do things where you're like I wonder if uh, non-scientists do this or civilians. I don't know what sometimes us comedians call non-comics civilians. I think it's more about people who are like, who have been 
very rigid, like academically. That's the thing I wonder sometimes is like, are people as structured in terms of like how they make their children do their homework or whatever? But I think one thing we've learned is that we can't try a discipline thing once, and if it doesn't work, we don't try it again because we know you have to get a good end. Like yeah. you have to get a good sampling. So Things, like, we, we gotta accept some failure. We until we you accept get some right. failure as scientists, and we also like make sure we try things a number of times before we like toss it out. Right. Like so like a. A uh, specific example, if you have one, or like hypothetical, like that would be like, uh, like how to deal with, to, yeah. like how to deal with tantrums, right? right? You know, you, you don't just say, well, we can't yell because that one time we yelled, blah, blah blah, or you can't be calm because the one time we were calm, they flipped out. So we've learned that like you really have to like go with your, you know, the best hypothesis and stick with it, and then throw it out if it seems yeah. like over several trials, right? But be working. willing to say, you know what, we're yeah. we're screwing this up. But yeah. it does it does also tell us like being scientists, I think it's taught us as parents that there are some things we're just going to do wrong. So for example, like, uh, oh, we dealt with this tantrum by trying to ice uh, our child out by just ignore right. it, let it quiet. Right. And then it's like, you got, I have a picture of you guys like at a dry erase board. <laughs> you're like, but, sheet, yeah, yes. but it looks like he had sugar one hour earlier. So it could have been sugar. Okay. Let's do it again. And let's try icing them out in a non-sugar situation. Okay. Well, both of us were in the room that he tried Too to play. Variables. Yeah. Yeah. He tried to play yeah. both of us against together. It's like, Keith, I was alone today. Control, you know, soundproof yes. room. <laughs> yeah. We have this chocolate hypothesis. It's not backed up by the literature, but, but we're pretty we sure pretty it's sure. right. I mean, <laughs> when we give our son any amount of chocolate, he is a maniac. Yeah. It's like it's gremlins when they fed them out. <laughs> so that, that's one that we're not doing so scientifically. We're pretty much just like George W. Bushing it, deciding that it's fact. So, um, but yeah. Say no to chocolate. <laughs> Say no to chocolate. Well, the last this time piece of chocolate here was found 15 feet away from the White House door. <laughs> last time he had chocolate, he tried to kill my daddy. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. So this is how it works in the comedy podcasting world is like you, you guys plug some stuff because that's why you would do this normally. That's the other hard part about getting scientists scientists on the podcast is like, it's like no, I have work to do. It's like, but you could tell people about your research. They're like, that doesn't affect my research. Yeah. <laughs> for us, it's like, my name's John Gabers. Check out my website. Come to my live shows. Wasn't I fun? Like, But in this case, Lauren, we have that's something true. we can. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, your books. I write with a co-author. Her name is Christina. So we write under Christina. Lauren and we write uh, saucy romance like mainstream romance and also teen fiction so Christina Lauren is there like a website or yep, just go Christina to Christina and we're on Amazon you can find us at Target Barnes and Noble we wrote a book called Sublime which was an idea that came to me when I was doing research still that story is about um, a boy who goes he basically uses hypothermia as an extreme sport to oh, like wow. to have near-death experiences and that's not science by the way that doesn't, that's not a thing that we can do um, but it kind of it was an idea that we stretched from science and so that's awesome that's like a, like a modern look at flatliners yeah like, uh, it, it was yeah, yeah. it's like flatliner, flatliners meets ghost is how they pitched it oh definitely right. kids don't do this at home sort of deal <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's oh, funny you, I can't believe of all those books only one is like science based there's no like well, we well, do you have characters we have scientist characters in a lot of our books oh, okay. and there's a lot of in, in in one of our books, Beautiful Player, there's um, a, one of the guy is a scientist, and there's a lot of inside jokes from him from grad school and from us from grad school. Oh, so we got fun. to throw those in. Uh, what about you, Keith? Where can we buy uh, R2D Brew? <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, buy her books, and I can start the brewery. That would be awesome. Good. Yeah. Keith's like, I'd like to use this opportunity to plug my wife's books even yeah. more. Because <laughs> I'd like to spend a lot of money on my little garage out there. <laughs> Yeah, but seriously. <laughs> 
Uh, Keith, is there anything that you want to plug? I know we're not uh, going to talk about our yeah, place of like, work too much. Unfortunately, like legally can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what Keith would like to say is, uh, redacted, come by, redacted. sign an NDA, <laughs> yeah. and he'll tell you. And he'll tell you about his job. <laughs> Yeah. Find him <laughs> at the top. As of long them. as you're not, a, do you have any prescribing medical doctors listening to your podcast? Okay. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> I'm if assuming you do, I've got to be quiet. <laughs> Based on my fan base, they're mostly young shitheads, but hopefully they <laughs> turn I could probably say whatever. Want. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they turn around and get into some science, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time thank to talk you. to me. This was super fun. This was a lot of fun for me too. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Oh man. What an awesome interview. Uh, I want to be friends with these two. I hope they don't mind if I keep contacting them about hanging out and drinking their awesome beer. Now, I was contemplating getting into beer brewing, but I'm going to be honest here. Keith intimidated me. His beer was really good, but he had to work hard to get there. Not in my system, working hard. I'm sorry. But they did teach me a couple of things about how science can help with parenting. Now, eventually, if I stop smoking weed in Speedos and hot tubs and I become unsterile and I'm able to have a child, I will use these scientific methods that I learned from them to help raise my children. Also, something that came up in this interview, you heard us talking about The Martian. Now, I love that movie, The Martian. I guess I found out it was also a book. And in the movie, The Martian, I learned what the acronym JPL stands for. It stands for Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It's like a division of NASA or something. Well, here's the kicker, folks. I'm going there. Next, on the next episode of The Layman, I'm heading out to NASA's JPL to discuss space travel. Thanks again to my guests, Dr. Keith and Dr. Laura, for taking the time out of their busy day raising two children to talk to a giant child about science. Thanks again to my producer, Eric Martin. The Layman is a Howl original and a production of Midroll Media. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nesea. Spanish Aki Presents. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big. 